Uh, this morning, we'll be in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 35. I won't read all 35 verses this morning just for the sake of time. I'll read the first 15 verses, and then I'll read two, two other verses uh, within the passage. I'll give you some time uh, to turn there. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Elton has Bibles in the back. So that's the Gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It reads this way. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jumping down to verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jumping to verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let us pray. Gracious God, Lord, thank you again for this time where we can come into your word, where we can meet with you. Um, I thank you um, just for the power that we find, Lord, in your word um, to change people, to transform people. God, I pray, Lord, that that power would go forth in spite of my own weaknesses, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue, Lord, to call people to faith and repentance, Lord, through your word. We thank you. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we, as humans, we live in a physical world. So therefore, we have physical needs, whether that be the need of uh, clothing, shelter, food. Now, of the three, we can argue that food may be the most important 
right? We know that our physical bodies need food every day um, to sustain us. Now, I myself, I like to eat. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good home-cooked meal, so after this service, if you feel the need to invite me into your home, whether that be for lunch, dinner, impromptu cookout, whatever, hey, I'm your man. My wife, wherever she is, she, she loves to cook, so therefore, I love to eat. So we make a, we make a good team, all right? So one of the things we know to be true, though, about food is that after we eat our favorite meals, whatever, whatever that is for you, um, we get full, right? Our stomachs get satisfied in that moment. And if you're anything like me, you're probably going to go to sleep. Right? That's what I do after, hey, after I eat a good meal. But one, another thing we know to be true about food is that after a few hours or maybe even the next day, right, we're hungry again. Right, we, that, that, that satisfaction is only uh, for a short time. It doesn't last. So that leads us to the question, is food man's greatest need? Or is having our physical needs met, is that our greatest need? All right, what does Jesus say about our greatest need? So this morning, I want to speak to us on the theme of our greater need. So looking at the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus, he performed several miracles. These miracles attested to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. These miracles revealed his glory so that his disciples would believe in him, that he was in fact God. In chapter 6, which will be our focus, we see Jesus performing one of these miracles. But just before this miracle... It tells us that a large crowd, verse 2, says that a large crowd was following Jesus because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So back in chapter 5, Jesus has healed a guy that was very sick. He was an invalid. If you know what that is, an invalid is someone that is very weak. It's a, it's a very debilitating disease. It affects people's ability to walk. So Jesus went on and he healed this guy. Now, you have to remember that this guy was in this condition for 38 years. That's a long time to be in such a debilitating condition. So when the people witnessed Jesus perform this miracle, you know, it struck their curiosity. They, you know, they probably thought to themselves, like, wait a minute, like, who, who is this Jesus fellow? Like, how is he able to perform the, these miracles, these signs? So when the people... So again, yeah, when the people saw this miracle, that, that curiosity was struck. But you see, the crowds, they were attracted to Jesus and began following him, not because their belief in the fact that he was the Messiah, but simply out of curiosity. So moving on to verse 4, it tells us that it was the Passover, the feast of the Jews. So Jesus, he noticed a large crowd of people coming toward him. He knew that the people were hungry, and he wanted to meet their physical need. He wanted to, to feed them. I think that's pretty dope that the creator of this world cares for us in that way. Right? He, he knows that we have physical needs, and he, he has compassion. He wants to meet those needs. So he asked Philip a question in verse 5. 
It says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So this question sets the stage for Jesus to perform this miracle. So verses 7 through 11, it records this miracle. It tells us that Jesus fed over 5,000 people, a multitude of people, from five loaves of bread and two fish. So this specific miracle was very significant because it, it teaches us about Jesus' creative power and it also helps supports John's purposes in revealing the deity of Christ. The feeding of the multitude helps set the stage for Jesus to teach the people about their greater need. And that's what God is doing this morning. He's going to teach us about our greater need. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this. And verse 14 comes right after Jesus performed this miracle, and he went on and fed them. Verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, looking at these words on the surface, it appears that these people have come to believe that, that Christ, he, he's the prophet. He, it, they have, it looks like they, they know like who he is. But if we look at these words closer, we in fact see that Jesus was not fooled by the people's confession that he was the prophet that was to come into the world. Look at verse 15. It says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, they just make this confession that, hey, you're the one, you're the prophet. But then we see Jesus withdrawing away from them. Right? Why would Jesus do that? The answer is simple. It's because he knew their hearts. Brothers and sisters, he knows our hearts. He knows when our desires are wrong. He knows our every intentions. He knows when our motivations are false. That's a scary thing. I tell my children all the time, like, it's easy to fool, to fool your parents. It's easy to fool like, we, we can all fool one another, but how can you fool the one who, who knows you, who sees right through you? It's not a coincidence that the people made this confession right after Jesus healed them and right after he fed them. This is an indication that the people, they desired a Messiah that only met their physical needs rather than their spiritual needs. And, and check this out, it's no different today. Who wouldn't want a Messiah? Who wouldn't want a Christ that gives us health, that gives us wealth, that gives us a fine marriage, that gives us the, the, new, uh, the new home with the white picket fence? Who wouldn't want a Christ that gives us these things, that, that stands to, to meet our every selfish, physical desire, every materialistic blessing? Who wouldn't want a Christ that does these things? And this is where prosperity preachers make their living, right? They preach a Jesus that, that is just here to, to bless people in this way with all these materialistic things. But what prosperity preachers fail to realize is that preaching about a Jesus that only gives us these physical blessings, it leads people to praise prosperity. It leads people to seek prosperity. It leads people to worship prosperity. So then what happens to Christ? Well, he's just reduced to an accessory to, 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 to make our life better. 
then we, then we start to look at Christ as a means to get those things, right? So we really don't want Christ. We just want what we can get from him. And the people in Jesus' day, they made this mistake, right? We make this same mistake. The people in Jesus' day, they failed to recognize the greater need that Jesus came to fill. In regards to the people of Jesus' day, John MacArthur states this. He says, they wanted an earthly political Messiah to meet all their needs and to deliver them from Roman oppression. Their reaction typifies many who want a Christ that makes no demands of them, but of whom they can make their selfish personal requests. So I ask you this morning, what type of Christ do you desire? When you're in your, your prayer closet or when, whenever you're off alone and you're meditating, what type of Christ do you want? What type of Christ do, do you think about? Do you want the Jesus in the scriptures? Do you want this kind of Jesus? Or do you want the one that's just simply going to give you all these materialistic things? Jumping back into the text. On the next day, following the feeding of the 5,000, right after Jesus performed this miracle, the people show up to the same place, and you know why they showed up, right? For food. They, they, they wanted to eat. They wanted the bread. But to their surprise, to their surprise, Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. So you know what they did? They got into their boats. As verse 24 tells us, they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. As soon as they found Jesus, they were curious to know how he got to the other side of the sea because they didn't see him get into the boats with his other disciples. But verses 16 through 21, it tells us that Jesus performed another miracle by walking on water, which was yet another sign that he was God. Now, but instead of answering their initial question, right, the people ask, like, hey, Jesus, like, how, how did you get here? Instead of answering their initial question, Jesus, he saw right through their false motivation to seek him. He saw through their shallow desires. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They desired to follow Jesus because they were hungry. Because they, want, they wanted their physical needs met. Nothing more. One theologian, he says this, The miracles which Jesus performed were proofs that he came from God to seek him because they had seen them and were convinced by them that he was the Messiah would have been proper. But to follow him simply because their wants were supplied was mere selfishness of a gross kind. You see, Jesus is not simply a wonder worker. He's not a genie in a bottle. He doesn't stand at our every beck and call to give us the things we so selfishly desire. Jesus, he wanted to meet much more than their physical needs. He came to provide something much greater than the bread that they were looking for. Therefore, Jesus is teaching us that our spiritual needs are much greater than our physical needs. So, if you are 
this morning, if you're currently seeking Jesus, and I hope all of us are, if you are, let me ask you this. Why do you seek Jesus? Why are you motivated to follow Jesus? Why do you desire him? Just take some time. Examine your hearts. For the rest of our time, I just want to share a few reasons why we should follow Christ. Number one, for those of us taking notes, number one, I know my daughter taking notes. She always does. Sometimes I feel like she's the only one that listens to uh, our father's sermon. So look, number one, if we are going to follow Jesus, we must first know who he is. If we are going to follow Jesus, we must first know who he is. Uh, during campaign season, right, when, when you have um, politicians, right, running uh, for office, you know, they hit the campaign trail, they go from place to place in order to gather enough votes to win, you know, the particular office that they're running for. They do this so people can get up close and personal uh, with them, giving the people a chance to know the candidate that they'll be voting for. Right? No one wants to follow someone that they don't know anything about or can at least identify with. Right? Politicians, they go on and they give their speeches about what they're going to do, and they never really like, deliver on those promises. But this is what we see going on, in a sense, in the Gospel of John. Jesus, he's sort of on the campaign trail. Right? He's going around from town to town, performing miracles. He's healing the sick. Jesus is making known to the world his identity and his mission. In verse 35, he goes on to make one of his emphatic I am statements. He makes seven of these I am statements in the Gospel of John. This is the first one. It says this, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So you have to understand when Jesus makes this I am statement, of being the bread of life, he's telling the crowd of people who he is and what exactly he came to do. Jesus was basically declaring to the people that he was the Messiah, the one sent from God to give life to a dying world. But the people, they were spiritually blind to who Jesus was. They insisted on having Jesus perform another miracle to satisfy their physical desires. He had just performed a miracle by feeding them, by feeding this great multitude of people from two fish, five loaves of bread. But this was, and get this, this miracle was enough to demonstrate the deity of Christ. But this miracle or this sign was not enough for them. The people, they wanted Jesus to perform yet another miracle, something on a grander scale because their minds were still on eating bread. Their minds were still on having their physical needs met. Look back at uh, verses 30 through 34. It says this, They said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God 
is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So the people, they recalled the time when their forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness. If you remember in the book of Exodus, after God delivered the Israelites from out of Egypt, the nation of Israel, they began complaining about being hungry. Right? They, they murmured and complained about how good they had it back in Egypt when they were slaves. And that, that is so foolish. Right? How, how can you have it better when you were actually a slave? Yeah, sure, you, you had your, your, your desires met and things like that, but you were a slave. And I think as Christians, we sometimes do the same things. We, we look back to that time when we were out in the world living just like the world, and we, we had all our pleasures met. You know, we, we, it just seemed like we had a good life then. Right? Don't make the mistake in, in, in doing that. Right? I know sometimes being a Christian, because we, we're called to suffer, right, it sometimes it seems like our life is just, it's just the worst. That's not the case. Because we know that we're, we're walking on this path, right? We're walking on this path with Christ. If we have Christ, look, we have everything. You might not get your physical needs met and the, the, your material, the material things that you desire, you might not get them. At the end of the day, you're really not deserving of anything. But that's, that's, that's a sermon for another time. We're we going to get back uh, to the text. So, when the people murmured and they complained, God, being so gracious and so kind, what does he do? He gives them bread from heaven. He gave them manna, right? He met their physical needs. But you see, this manna that God gave the Israelites during that time was just temporary. It lasted for a short time. It eventually perished. Right? You know when we eat, after a while, a few hours, we need to eat again. The manna foreshadowed, this, this bread that God gave that came from heaven, it foreshadowed the bread from, it foreshadowed what God was going to provide for his people, the true bread that he was going to provide for his people, which was Jesus Christ. Let's jump down to verses 48 and 51 of John chapter 6. Verse 48 says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And brothers and sisters, if we don't eat this bread, if you don't feed on Christ's flesh, you will die. You will have no life in you whatsoever. Physically, you may be alive, but spiritually you will have no life in you whatsoever. Now, this probably sounds weird. It sounded weird to the people of Jesus' day when he spoke these words. Look at verse 52. It says, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Brothers and sisters, don't be confused like the Jews were confused. Right? Christ is not calling us to literally eat his flesh. No. One, that would be impossible. 
He's not walking this earth right now, right? And two, he just doesn't, he doesn't mean that, right? So, 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 so don't be confused, right? We're not cannibals, right? We're not going around just eating Christ's flesh, right? None of us in here is, uh, um, is Jeffrey Dahmer. At least I, I would hope not. So look at verses 57 and 58. It says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see, the people were spiritually blind to Christ's words, which we, we, we were at one time, too, before we opened our eyes. The people couldn't see past the physical perspective of eating Christ's flesh. But Jesus was making the point that just as eating and drinking is necessary for physical life, so also is the belief in the death of Jesus on the cross necessary for eternal life. The eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood is a metaphor for accepting Jesus' work on the cross. So we have to we have to admit that it's something different about the bread that Jesus is offering, isn't it? It's something different. This, this bread, it's not like the bread that you find in, in Harris Teeter or Wegmans, wherever you guys shop, Giant, Save-A-Lot. It, you, you won't find that bread. You won't find the bread that he's offering there. The bread that Jesus provides is nothing like the bread of this world which will never satisfy you. The bread of this world perishes, but the bread that Jesus provides leads to life, eternal life. So then, if this bread is so important that Jesus provides, well, the next question is, how do we get this bread? Right? How do we obtain this bread? What work must we do to obtain it? Well, this brings us to our next point. Jesus freely gives us this bread of eternal life. That's point number two. Jesus freely gives us this bread of eternal life. Now, how many of us here like free gifts? Everybody's hand should be raised. I know I do. And when I, when I hear the word free, I think of, you know, that like somebody's just going to freely give me something. I don't have to do anything for it. This company that I work for, uh, Home Care Maryland, sometimes they give free gifts, uh, they give free gifts to like the employees. It's like little small gifts, it's nothing like really big, really significant. They might give you, you know, like a lunch bag, um, a thermos, stylus pen, tickets to the Orioles games, like nothing, nothing really big, right? <laughs> Especially the Orioles games, right? So these gifts are insignificant when compared to the, to the bread, to the gift that Jesus provides for us. This free gift of eternal life is of much greater importance than anything we can receive in this life. Look at verse 27. Jesus, he goes on to rebuke the crowd. He says this, do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal 
life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Now, when the people heard this, again, they were confused. You notice in the theme throughout uh, John chapter 6, they, they were always confused. They, they were slow to believe. Just like us. Just, let's be honest. Just like us. They thought that Jesus was saying that they had to work for the food that leads to eternal life. That's why they asked him in verse 28. Look at verse 28. It said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? But look how Jesus answered them in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you may believe in him whom he has sent. The only work that God requires is that we believe in his son. God requires faith and trust in Christ. Look at verse 40. Jesus says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he tells us, We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not our own doing, but it is the gift of God. This is a free gift. The free gift of eternal life. We have to understand this. This free gift, it must be accepted. It must be accepted. The last gift my company gave out, last winter they gave out um, a fleece jacket. Now, it was my responsibility to go in, sign for it, and, and get the jacket. Now, I missed out on that jacket, right, because I never went in to get it. It's a long story. I mean, the office is way out in Owens Mills. I hate driving out to the office when I don't have to, so I, I missed out on it, right? So in the same way that I was responsible for going to go get my free gift, brothers and sisters, when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to the bread that Christ is offering, we're responsible for, getting that, for, for, for receiving it. Don't make the same mistake I made when I failed to receive my fleece jacket. Right? The bread, again, the gift that Christ provides for us, it is so much more important than, than a fleece jacket. Let us not fail to receive the free gift of eternal life. Jesus promises to give eternal life to all those who trust in him. Have you ever trusted in him? Are you trusting in him right now? You know, sometime in the midst of suffering, it's difficult to trust in him. It's difficult. But are you still trusting him despite what you're going through, despite how it feels to serve Christ, right, to live for him in this broken and fallen world? Are you trusting in him? Jesus has never cast out any who has come to him in faith. Look at verse, verse 38 says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, trusting in Christ, that's a safe place for us, right? Trusting in him, we're secure. We're not, we're not lost. We won't perish. When we put our confidence in Christ, when we, when we trust in him, he will not lose us. You know why? Well, we just read it. Because he has come down not to do 
his will, but to do his Father's will. And that will is to not to lose any that the Father has given him. Right? So trust in him. Run to him. Number three. One thing, another thing we need to know about following Christ is this. Is that Jesus is more concerned with our spiritual needs. Jesus is more concerned with our spiritual needs. So for those of us who have children, right, uh, it's, it's getting close to that time, our children's favorite time of the year, which is Christmas, right? It's just a couple months away. It, it'll be here right before you know it. Now, every year uh, before Christmas, me and my wife, we sit down and we, we, we kind of map out what our kids need the most before we even get to what they want. My daughter, 11 years old, she'll be 12, a couple weeks. Her feet grows every day. It seems like, like right now, she's wearing her mother's shoes because like her feet is just is growing, like they just keep growing. So she's wearing the same size shoe of her mom's. Also, right, she, she's, um, she's in middle school, right? So she's becoming like a little more independent. So we'll probably have to get her a cell phone, which is crazy because, like, I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 21, 22 years old. But, I mean, you know, we, we, live, we live in a different world. My son, my son Ashton, right, he's growing as well. Not, not in the height department. That's my man. I love him. But, but he's outgrowing, like, a lot of his, his shirts, right, his clothes, his pants, um, even the, his underwear. It's crazy. But anyway, look, so it's not a secret on what my kids need the most this year. They need clothes, right? Now, Christ, who is a much better provider than I ever could be, right? he knows what my children need the most. He knows what we need the most. Look at verse 27 again. Christ says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. We know that the crowd of people showed up the next day, right, for bread. That was it, for bread. But Jesus came to provide something much greater than bread. Jesus saw the people's greater need, which was spiritual. Jesus is more concerned with our spiritual needs and the last time I checked, the book of Ephesians tells me, chapter 2, verse 1, that we are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. The apostle Paul, he states the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Brothers and sisters, sin has caused us all to die spiritually meaning we have no life in us whatsoever. Spiritually, we are bankrupt. We're unable to respond to God in a loving way. We're unable to please God apart from believing in Christ. We're sinners. We're hostile to God's word. We reject it. We reject his authority. And the Bible teaches us that we stand condemned before a holy God, and we face the final destination of eternal death, of hell. Now, looking back at John chapter 6 for a second, crowd of people, instead of seeking Jesus for salvation, 
which they needed. That's our greatest need, to be saved, to be forgiven by a holy God. Right? But instead of seeking the salvation that they needed, that Jesus came to provide, they simply wanted bread. They wanted their physical needs met. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis states this. He says, we are too easily pleased. I think C.S. Lewis has it right. I think he's on to something when he said that. Because too often we go to Christ just, just for selfish reasons, just to have our physical needs met, just to have our selfish physical desires met, where he stands offering something of much more significance, of much more worth than the temporal things of this world. We think that Jesus will provide all of these materialistic things for us. Is Jesus concerned with our physical needs? Yes, he is. He is. I think Christ is concerned with the whole person, physical and spiritual, body and soul. But I think Christ is more concerned with our spiritual needs because they are of greater importance. Remember his words in Mark chapter 8. Verse 36 says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So we can, we can have every materialistic thing that we, that we want. And if we lose Christ, brothers and sisters, we have nothing. Nothing. Look, Jesus is more concerned with your relationship with God. He came to reconcile our relationship with God that was lost because of sin. When Adam and Eve, when they committed that first act of disobedience in the garden, right? Well, all of us inherited that sinful nature. All of us became sinners. And our sin has caused us to be separated from God. Now, my, my aim this morning, I, I, don't want, I don't want you all to think that I'm making light of our physical needs, of our, um, even our emotional needs. I'm not, that, that's not my aim at all. I know we suffer some terrible things in this world um, because of the fact we live in a broken and fallen world that is tarnished by sin, right? Sin has ruined God's creation. We have ruined God's good creation. Some of us this morning may be battling physical sickness. Some may be battling depression. Some may have mental health issues. Whatever the case is, I can stand with 100% confidence and tell you that Jesus cares. He cares for you. He has compassion. Why do you think he healed the sick? Why do you think he performed that miracle in feeding them? He knew that they were hungry. But get this, and we need to understand this. If Jesus healing your physical bodies or meeting your physical needs is a prerequisite for you coming to Christ, then you fail to see your greater need. You fail to see Jesus for who he is and what he came to do. Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
This statement is trustworthy and true, that he came to save sinners. This Jesus came down from heaven to give life to the spiritually dead. And if you have been tracking with me this morning, you know that we are all born into this world spiritually dead. Right? No life, no spiritual life in us whatsoever. But check this out. Listen to the good news of the gospel found in 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 24, it says this. It says this about Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his work on the cross, we are healed. If you are trusting in Christ, your greater need, which is spiritual. Oh, look, that need has already been met in Christ Jesus. It has been met on the cross. God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. God's kingdom is spiritual at the moment, right? That's why we need to see it with the eyes of faith, right? We can't physically see God's kingdom right now here on this earth. But these realities of the blessings we have in Christ, right, they're spiritual. But one day when Christ comes back, well, we'll be able to see him. They'll be physical. We'll see his physical kingdom where all things will be restored, where all things will be made new. Until that day, I pray that you continue to trust in him. If you don't know Christ or if you have not been seeking him, well, guess what? Today is the day to seek him. Today is the day to seek him while he may be found. Because it's coming a time when he's coming back. And it will be too late. It will be too late. Christ is offering us this wonderful gift to meet our greatest need. Our greater need, which is always spiritual. Right? And since our greater need is always spiritual, our spiritual blessings are more important than physical blessings. And again, in Ephesians, it tells us that God has already given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right? And more importantly than that, like I know as Christians, like we rejoice in, in, in the fact that we're justified and we're sanctified, but we should rejoice in the fact that we have Christ. And that should be enough. Let us pray. Gracious God, Lord, thank you uh, for this time where we can go into your word. Uh, thank you for your goodness, Lord, and, and opening our eyes, God, to our greater need. Lord, sometimes we, we, we come to you for all the wrong reasons. We're attracted to you for all the wrong reasons. But God, I pray today, Lord, that we will, be, that we will all be reminded, Lord, of who you are and what you came to do. You've come to give eternal life, to give spiritual life to a dying world. And I pray, God, that this gift of salvation that you provide, I pray that that it would always be enough, that we would find contentment, that we would find joy in this precious gift that you have given to all those who believe in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.